0: You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, everyone. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast, the NFL flagship, really, for the whole Locked On Network. Many new listeners, welcome, as always. I urge you to check out the rest of the Locked On Network, your favorite team, Locked On Ravens, Locked On Colts, whatever it is you're into. Maybe check out that whole division worth of podcasts, or your biggest rival, or the whole damn thing. Um, Speaking of the Colts, uh, the series is moving along. I'm I'm coming to you on a Saturday. I've warned you about this, that my schedule is a little screwed up this week. I am out of pocket Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I might be able to record on Wednesday evening just myself. I let Mark Schofield off the hook, but I'll be back with Sando on Thursday. Might record another one of these tomorrow. So if I can get both South divisions knocked out this weekend, it will keep us pretty much on track um, and finish up the West next week. So this is the AFC South. And let's start with the Houston Texans. You notice I sigh there. Titus Howard at 23. You know, the Eagles move one spot in front of Houston to take Dillard. Who, okay, let's look at it objectively. The Draft Knicks all like Dillard better. Obviously, the Eagles like Dillard better. They were aggressive to go get their left tackle. This isn't about the Eagles, though. Texans come back with the very next pick, take a tackle. Would they have taken Howard over Dillard? I don't think so. They'll never tell us that. And I think a lot of us will immediately look at this and say, boy, they overreacted. They just decided they're taking the tackle no matter what. And they took this guy too early and panicked when Dillard went off the board. I've also been saying, leading up to the draft, that I felt very confident that the Texans and Vikings pick were almost guaranteed to be, Best offensive lineman on the board. And I didn't have a problem with that because that was really what these teams needed. But my problem is, first of all, is Howard really worth the 23rd pick? And I can see why you would like him. I mean, there's a lot of athleticism, upside, developmental traits, and showed up well, you know, in the post, you know, postseason pre-draft process for sure but he's still coming out of Alabama State and needs a lot of work, technically. So, I get it, and I absolutely, going back to my statement that they should take the best offensive lineman available, have to make Watson's life easier. I mean, they absolutely have to give him some protection, preferably at the tackle position, but really all, all across the line. My issue is I mean, and it takes you to tango. Couldn't you trade it to 28 or 29 or 30 and still take this player? Maybe not. You know, again, I don't know what went on in the war rooms. And I also said, you know, last podcast that everyone's board is different. I mean, Howard may have been the Texans 20 most, 20th most valuable player in this whole draft. They take him at 23 and he's number one on their board. I understand. It just seems to me, after doing this for a lot of years, that it was a reactionary jump-the-gun pick, and he probably could have got this guy five, ten picks later, and if he didn't, there were other linemen available. But where I'm going with this, and my biggest problem, isn't with Howard so much as I have not been impressed at all with how this team has developed linemen, and... They need a quick fix. You know what I mean? Like take take Cody Ford or Reisner, you know, what I mean, or Jawan Taylor if his knee was okay. You know, somebody that you knows a little more NFL ready. Projects are fine, especially if you're the Eagles and you got Peter sitting there. You don't have that luxury here. You gotta live for today a little bit more and make Watson's life easier now. Not boy, we got this developmental left tackle that may end up being Armstead from the Saints down the road, who was a developmental left tackle in his day. You need a guy that's more plug-and-play and maybe even a little more position versatile. I don't even care about that. But get Watson some help now. And I just don't know that this pick does that well enough. So that's my issue, and that's my take on that whole pick overall. And in the end, I'm not fond of it. Lonnie Johnson is a big, gigantic, great-looking corner who I think needs some technical work and I don't think is great in transition so much as big corners aren't. And their corner situation is very... You know, they lost a few, they added a guy, but I think big picture, there's not a lot of answers. So maybe in this case, As opposed to the tackle conversation, you have some time to not redshirt him, but to develop him slowly. You can live with the corners you have now, which is cool. I mean, that's fine. Um, It's not a real win-now move, but there is upside here. He could turn into a big power-type corner. So, fine. Max Sharping's a little bit more what I'm talking about, though. Johnson went 54th, Sharping went 55. I think considering the status of this team, he's a plug-and-play starter, and I like that. I mean, to me, that's exactly what you're looking to do, considering the beating that Watson, some of it at his own hands, don't get me wrong. Um, by the way, the corner thing, they they did add Bradley Roby, I mean, I should have said that before, and Jonathan Joseph, but Colvin isn't was really hard to, didn't do much at all last year. Hard to count on. Jonathan Joseph's uh, contract's up and he's up in age. Roby only signed a one-year deal. So that that's the, the cornerback note I meant to make a minute ago. But Sharping, I think, is more like it. You know, I mean, I think he's going to be, boom, your starter, sink or swim. But, you know, I think you're going to get value out of him in 2019. <laughs> I love, I love Warring, the, the tight end out of San Diego State. He goes 86 overall in the third round because he's a great athlete, water polo background, strange path to where he is today in the football world, all sorts of ability. So anyone that takes him around the 86 pick, I'm not going to have too much of a problem with. But how many developmental tight ends do they have in Houston right now? And again it's not a real live for today moment. So I don't have any problem with you know with Warren going 86 overall or really to Houston, but I can you continue to wait on this position. There's a lot of guys kind of in this mold already there. Yeah, you know. So for them, I just don't love it as I would for a different team, I imagine. Um Menehu, Charles Amenahu, defensive lineman from Texas. I did not think he would fall to the 161st pick overall. Good for Houston to grab him, keep him in the great state of Texas. Uh, he will help probably in several different techniques and alignments. Um, not that he's TJ Watt, but I would think that you could use him. Or JJ Watt, Jeez, I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh. Um I shouldn't even brought Watt's name up. (laughs) I mean, not that they're not dissimilar. I just mean that in terms of he could could rush from the inside, he could rush on the edge, use all over the line. I mean, they have Watt who does that as well as anyone that I can remember. And so throwing their name in the same sentence was a mistake by me. But I love this pick for them. It's probably my favorite of their picks. And then they wrap things up with Xavier Crawford defensive back, and a fullback. That's noteworthy that Gillespie from Texas A&M is a fullback they grab. So that's noteworthy too. Um, some of these guys might develop, you know, in particular, Waring and Howard. I just wish that considering that they're always 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, and seven, that maybe you would get a little bit more of a short-term fix. Um, we'll be back. We'll talk to Colts here in a moment. You're going to get sick of me if you haven't already raving about the Colts. First of all, I'm smitten with Luck as always, but I think he's as good as he's ever been and an elite, elite quarterback. And They got a line. Boy, they got a line. But I just think that this slow build that this team is doing from general manager to coach to quarterback to adding pieces the right way, trading down, Picking up extra picks for the future, yet again, still a lot of cap space, addressing the right positions. And what I mean by that in the passing league, their second round picks were a corner who covers receivers, a receiver, and a guy that rushes a passer. I mean, they're not drafting um, you know, hammerhead guys that are blocking tight ends, you know, like Cincy did, or, you know, I mean, and it's a good combination, especially those top three. I'll get to each one here in a minute, of helping now as well as long-term upside. And Rocky Sin, more of a man guy than zone, but I read how they really liked seeing him in the the pre-draft process playing zone. And that may even be the better fit for him because I think his footwork is still a little raw. And instead of just being aggressive and attacking the ball and playing the ball on the quarterback and reading things in front of him. So I think he'll transition to this scheme really well, tough, outside-the-numbers guy. He's a little bit more, a little bit of a project, but I think he's probably still a plug-and-play starter too, and that's a fine line and a great line if you can balance it. Um, Ben Benogu, I don't love. I mean, I think he can pattern himself a little bit after Justin Houston, learn from Houston. They were linked to Clark, who inevitably went to the Chiefs. So certainly pass rushers are needed. And that's one of those positions. If you don't get a pass rusher, really, probably in the first two, maybe three rounds, you probably aren't really going to get much. And so they get a guy who's a good athlete, a good bender, develop him. So I'm fine with that. I mean, and it's a need position. It's an important position. Paris Campbell, a burner. But caught very few deep balls. Um, I think that they should look at him as maybe Hilton's eventual replacement as a do-it-all guy and certainly try to develop his deep ball abilities and, you know, longer developing routes. But in the meantime, he's jet sweeps and, you know, bubble screens and quick hitters after the catch, electric playmaking ability. I think this fits a great one. Um, I mentioned before, you know, I do the Dynasty Blueprint podcast. And anyway, so I look at a lot of these rookies through the Dynasty fantasy angle. I don't know that Campbell will be a monster contributor in 2019. Like, I'm not sure I went on my 2019 fantasy team. But if Hilton starts to slow down sooner than later, and Campbell develops a couple of these aspects, overall route running, deep ability... He may be a big time contributor as soon as 2020, and they have the you know they can wait. And in the meantime, they're throwing to the Funchess and Ebron, and you know obviously Hilton and Hines and you know Doyle. They they got some guys now, and luck's the distributor. You wouldn't think linebackers a need, but in the third round they grab Bobby Okareki. I always say his name wrong, and it's not an easy, it's not a hard one to say, but I always say it wrong. Okareki. One real note on him, length. This Colts D, you know, like, that's one thing that really showed up with Leonard, too. They are long-armed, long-billed dudes. It doesn't sound like that big a deal, but you start trotting a lot of them out there. I mean, even Laraki Sins that way, um, Benagu, who they drafted, that way. Long, slender, athletic frames. They just take up a lot of space, you know, with each step, with each length of their arms, that wingspan, passing lanes, wrapping up tacklers, and he's a good athlete. They don't need him to be a plug-and-play guy, but he might be. I think this is a real nice pickup and a real good pairing with Leonard, you would think, for years to come. Kari Willis from Michigan State, you know, a lot of defense here. And Marvell Tell from USC. There's a lot of ability there. I've heard some say Tell might be a corner. Um, We'll see. see. I'd have to do a little more homework on him for that. But there's ability with both those guys, as well as EJ Speed in the fifth round. Another project linebacker, Tarleton State. But you're going to get a ton. I mean, what really jumps out at me there is Okariki, Willis, Tell, Speed. That just screams special team loveliness. You know what I mean? And then you get Green, defensive end for Michigan State. Another one that probably won't help much this year, but you can develop down the line. And then you finish things up with two offensive linemen, which I think is good business. You know, like, uh, I always hate that you guys get on me because I mention the Steelers too much. And I do. I'm not going to say that I do not. But I thought, you know, a lot of my Steeler prep, I kept saying the Steelers and the Colts were two teams to me that really didn't have to be in the market for... Offensive line or quarterback, and what a lo- what a wonderful sp- situation that is to enter a draft and say we don't have offensive line need or quarterback. You talk about two positions that are always over drafted. But in the Steelers, this was the last pick. Throw two more guys in the room, maybe on the practice squad at the offensive line. Let's not just sit on our hands. And there's very much a philosophy out there in the draft world that you should draft an offensive lineman every year, whether you like it or not. And throwing these two darts in the seventh round, to me, is smart business. And I think the Colts are very smart businessmen. The Jags. <sighs> Josh Allen basically falls in their lap. I like that. You keep a strength of strength. Good. I think there was a case. I mean, when I mocked up the, the Jags, or when I looked at the Jags, I thought Hawkinson was the pick here. And a lot of people talked about Jawan Taylor, who they ended up getting, or a, a lineman in general, offensive lineman. None of us thought Josh Allen would would last through six picks. So you take probably the highest ranked guy on the board by consensus, and obviously on their board, or they wouldn't have done it. And how will, you know, Calais Campbell's not going to be here forever. Keep the defensive line of strength. So I'm fine with that. Um, but... Part of me's like, maybe I still would have taken Hawkinson. And there were, I haven't heard other people talk about that, but I thought that's exactly what this offense needed. They did get Josh Oliver in the third round with a 69th pick. And I think he could have a bright future and is a tremendous landing spot for that young man. And he has a lot of pass upside, pass receiving upside. So that might work out. He's just not the, the well rounded. Do it all, Hawkinson, two way tight end, and there really wasn't anyone like Hawkinson in this draft. And as much as they run the ball, and they'll probably, you know, put a little more on Foles' plate than they did Bortles, but they're still a run offense by today's standards. Um, I would have liked to see more of a two way tight end, but I do like this landing spot a lot for Oliver. Taylor's an interesting one. He ends up going 35 when a lot of us thought he might go seven to the same team. Um, right tackle masher athlete size a uh, lot to like about him i from all i can gather and it seems to be kind of common knowledge at this point but unless there's any more to the story that i don't know is to me he only fell because of what sounds like a knee you know and there're little concerns about the knee i would imagine as soon as the first round ended a lot of teams were salivating to try to grab him jacksonville did Fits exactly what they need. I mean, as most of us lot pre-draft when we considered him, you know, as like a seventh overall pick to Jacksonville. He's exactly what they need at the position and they need position. But you go through your first three picks, or really the first three rounds, Quincy Williams, who's Quinn and Williams' brother that, frankly, none of us knew anything about, including all the draft Knicks. Um, I guess he's a pretty good athlete, small school, Murray State. But you go through the first 98 picks and you 98 selections overall and you pick at 7, 35, 69, and 98. My problem is you only added one receiving threat at all and that's Oliver. You know, you, you didn't help your passing game nearly enough from a weapons standpoint to me. So, do I fault him for Allen? No. Do I fault him for Taylor? Of course not. Do I fault him for Oliver? Of course not. I like that pick. Do I fault him for Williams? Yeah, probably. Um, but in the end... And because Allen fell to you, what if you would have ended up with Hawkinson, Jawan Taylor, and then at 69, you take Hakeem Butler? You know what I mean? Some receiver that you like when there was a lot there. And again, Allen falls to you, so you're happy about it, fine. Um, they take Russell, who I think is a decent developmental defensive lineman to finish it in seventh round. They take Gardner Minshew out of Washington State. Uh, Yeah, He kind of has that look to me, like maybe he's a long-term backup. And if you get a long-term backup with 178th pick overall, that's winning. Um, And then the last guy I wanted to mention, I think is really noteworthy, is Rykel Rykel uh, Rykel Armstead from Temple. Do I love Armstead? Not really. Um, He's got a lot better speed than you would think. From a power back, he will run away from people. But that's exactly what he is. And so that's why I like the fit is... As Sando and I talked about on Thursday, Leonard Fournette, it's time to talk about his fifth-year contract, and Mike didn't think there's any chance they pick it up. This fifth-year option, a year from now, they'll make that decision. Been in the doghouse, been injured. I think Armstead, you know, there's Rawls there and Blue, you know, I think Armstead, basically by default, becomes Fournette's backup handcuff immediately. And the beauty of that for him is, how much do you count them How many snaps do you count him for net per year? And if you don't change your offense, I think Armstead could make a lot of noise here. Fits what they want from the position, which every team isn't in that same mold anymore, and could see a lot of playing time as a rookie for the fifth round pick. So, I like that a lot, and it just fits the team quite a bit. But yeah, the offense got better. Taylor all over Armstead. I just don't. I look at it and say. Where's the big play threat? Where's the the A guy of that of that list? And that's because they took Allen who fell on their lap. The Titans are a really interesting team. I mean, it feels like crossroads time for them. Quarterback, head coach, team in general. I think they've quietly assembled quite a bit of talent, and Jeffrey Simmons is maybe as talented as anyone this whole draft. Did they see any production from him this year? Probably not. But maybe you get him for the last month of the year, and he learns, and you acclimate him quickly. And you hope you're not making this pick for the next regime. And I don't think they are. I think their seat's warm, not hot. But boy, this could pay off huge. And, you know, it, it's an ACL. It's not, And it's not 1982 where ACLs destroy people's careers. He should be back and be the man as he was. It could pay off huge. But... There's a cost. I mean, you're gonna live for a while with the 51st pick, AJ Brown, being your most, you know, uh, recruited, uh, most highly drafted rookie for a team that's building a nice talent base. But those, also, not sure they can afford that luxury either. They're not, you know, in charge of the. They're not in that great of shape. Love AJ Brown though. Actually, they take it 51. Um, I don't know that it's a wonderful landing spot for him. I do think the offense will continue to go through Henry. And I'm still very much a Corey Davis believer. He's faced a brutal slight of corners last year. I think he'll be the number one receiver. Delaney Walker comes back. Humphreys they gave good money to. So I think Brown will be an underwhelming production guy early on. And I thought they would go more the route of a Marquise Brown type of receiver. You know, Michael Hardman. There was a lot of them. Paris Campbell. A lot speed. Because I think their offense in general isn't fast enough at the skill position players. But A.J. Brown at 51 is just gold. I mean, I think if he would have went 30th, I wouldn't have batted an eye. But he's a little redundant in that he's kind of a... Big slot, outside the number, do it all. I just thought that the the DK Metcalf or Marquise Brown or outside the numbers speed was a little more in demand. But again, you get A.J. Brown at 51. I love the player, so I don't have a problem with it. But it doesn't make them a whole lot faster and more explosive. Nate Davis. Uh, they aren't very happy with the interior of their offensive line from last year. They brought in Saffold. Uh, Davis projects to me as a starting guard and with a, quite a bit of upside as well. I like this pick quite a bit, you know, especially if you are going to be a very Derrick Henry driven offense for better or worse. And I mean, say it's one about Henry and I don't love him, but he certainly did some good things last year. I mean, that can't be ignored then I thought they finished their draft unbelievably strong. I mean, why is Amani Hooker still on the board of 116? I mean, That is a do-it-all, young safety that gives them now a wealth of safeties. Bayard might be the best safety in the league already. Hooker has no business being on the board in fourth round. I bet that they were just looking at this like, is he, I'm sure he's going to get picked. Of course Hooker's going to get picked. What do you mean he's there at 116? Didn't plan on using you know a higher pick or a mid pick on our safety not that's ever a bad idea for special teams and depth reasons and you could put three on the field and all those things but he should not have been there that late I mean to me that was one of the more surprising quote drops of a player in the draft I've heard no reason to indicate why he would heard somebody speculate that no one in the world expected him to come out as a junior so a lot of the scouts didn't Bother really paying attention to him till late in the process, but I don't know that that's enough to make you fall this much. I think the Titans are really going to benefit DeAndre Walker, too. I mean, in the 168th pick, that's pretty good value to me. I thought he was going to be a fourth rounder, maybe even a third. They need more edge help. You know, Landry's young, um, Wake is old, had another guy there, and you don't need Walker to be a massive contributor right this minute. And then a David Long's a guy I'm familiar with too. I think he's gonna be an awesome special teamer. Oh, by the way, all three of those guys should be, you know, quality special teamers. But Long is a kind of a hair on fire standout linebacker, run and chase, really good range, misses some tackles, misdiagnoses some things, plays a little out of control at times, but certainly an energy guy. Should be an unbelievable special teamer. You know, they're, they're pretty well set at linebacker. I don't see him really cracking that situation. But this team doesn't have a lot of holes. And if if Mariota, especially Mariota, can stay healthy and the offense can round back into shape, particularly the passing game, I think this is a sleeper team to make some noise in the AFC. Um, I like their draft a lot. And someday we're going to go, oh, here comes Simmons back to the mix. Wow. You know, I mean, that's kind of how that works with those type of guys. And in the meantime, I thought they got a nice blend of guys to help now as well as, you know, upside and value. So good work by the Titans for sure. Um, That is a wrap. Over and out, folks.